Hi, Rabbi Bernath here. I have some great news for you. My popular four-week course, Kabbalah for Everyone, is available right now for free for the next 50 people who download it. All you have to do is go to www.theloverabbi.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and you're going to see the download button right there. In this course, I talk about the Kabbalistic secrets to relationships, to wealth, to happiness, and balance. This special offer has been dedicated in loving memory of Ellie Dorfman. I look forward to hearing from you and hope you enjoy the course. Now on to today's episode. Today I want to ask, what defines a true leader? If you think about leadership and the elements of leadership and what it takes to be a leader and let's say not a follower, what are the definitions? What are the values? What does it take to be a true leader? Now, before answering this question, I want to look at the Torah for examples of leaders. There are three that stand out. Noah, Abraham, and Moses. So let's examine each of their qualities and see what kind of leadership styles they had. So first, Noah. Noah and his family, they're the only righteous people of an entire generation. And God speaks to Noah and he tells him that he's going to destroy the world. And God commands him to build a massive structure known today as Noah's Ark. The building process takes 120 years. And throughout those years, the people see him erecting this massive vessel and they start mocking him. But Noah remains focused on his goal and ultimately in the company of every animal species. His family boards the ark and they're saved from torrential flooding. The story of Noah and the flood. What about Abraham? Abraham is called Avraham Avinu, which translates as Avraham our father. He was the first Jew. He's referenced in the Torah as an Ivri, which literally means the other side, because he's not afraid to stand for his principles. Even if he's opposed by the entire world, Abraham will stand strong. Abraham and his wife, Sarah, actively engage with society. They're converting the pagans into monotheistic believers. God warns Abraham that he's going to destroy the sinful cities of Saddam and Amorah. Abraham pleads on behalf of those people, bargaining with the one and only, and ultimately asking him to save the city of Saddam, even if just 10 righteous individuals are found. But not even 10 righteous are found, and Saddam is destroyed. Now let's look at Moses. Moses is summoned by God at the burning bush to head to Egypt, to confront Pharaoh and lead the Jewish people to freedom. Perhaps the most daunting instruction ever. But Moses heeds the command and he's successful. Once the nation has been liberated and they begin their journey through the desert, this giant of a man ascends Mount Sinai and receives the Torah. Now Moses descends the mountain and finds this newly liberated slave community bowing to a golden calf. He pleads with God and manages to 
calm God's heavy anger. God does not destroy the Jewish people as a result of the golden calf. But now Moses is tasked with ushering the people into the land of Israel. He ends up sending a delegation of spies to scout out the land. Ten out of twelve return with disturbing reports. They say the land is filled with giants. It's unapproachable. It's formidable. Moses prays to God in the company of his soon-to-be successor, Joshua, Yoshua ben Nun, asking that the nation be saved from impending punishments for rallying to the bad counsel of the spies. Now, I've only given you a snapshot of these lives of these three individuals. I'd like to now compare their unique approaches to social responsibility. Noah didn't pray for anyone, and he only engaged with those who approached him. Abraham, he sought to inspire the world around him and prayed for the righteous. But Moses, he prays for everyone, even the sinners. Noah, in Hasidic philosophy, is sometimes called a tzaddik in pelts, a righteous person in a fur coat. He himself is warm, but his warmth doesn't emanate. Abraham, he lived before the giving of the Torah, before the physical and the spiritual were united, before heaven came down to earth, before Moses went up on the mountain and God came down to the mountain. Abraham valued the righteous and he valued spirituality. Moses, on the other hand, put the physical needs of others before his own, before his own spiritual yearning. He threatened God that if the Jewish people were destroyed because of the golden calf, that he wanted his name blotted out of the Torah. Moses understood that the spies were not bad people. Though their advice was unacceptable, Moses himself chose the ten men because they were upright and they were holy individuals. The spies were not intimidated by the land of Israel. On the contrary, they didn't want to leave the spiritual heaven of the desert. In the desert, the holy cloud led them by day and protected them by night. Food known as manna fell from heaven. Their clothes grew on their bodies and all their physical needs were met directly by the Creator. It was like a spiritual Gan Eden, a spiritual paradise, without the hassles of a daily grind, plowing the land, having to make a living. The people of the desert were able to dedicate themselves completely to God. In the desert, you could lead an angelic lifestyle of pure holiness without the burden of daily life. They didn't want to leave the spiritual seclusion. And Moses prays in the presence of his successor, Joshua, to show that the spiritual retreat of a desert was not the ultimate way to live in this world. It was not the ultimate way for the people. In the real world, fields would be plowed, sustenance would be earned, and love thy neighbor as thyself would be the core value in the spiritual service of God. The real path to spirituality would be the fusion of the physical and the spiritual. The desert retreat was not the way of the future. 
There's a well-known anecdote about the famous rabbis Hillel and Shammai. They're quoted extensively in the Mishnah, in the oral tradition. They're well-known to disagree on almost every topic. Today, we actually follow the opinion of Hillel in most cases. So one time, this convert comes to Shammai and asks him to teach the entire Torah to him while standing on one foot. The man was thrown out of the building and his question utterly disregarded. The convert then paid a visit to Hillel and made the same request. Hillel turns to him and he says, Do not do unto others as you would not want done unto you. And the rest is commentary. It's actually today become what is called the golden rule. You see, Shammai followed a very straight path. He viewed the Torah with the severity and function as a very holy and righteous person. According to Shammai, the Torah could never be underscored by a one-liner. It's simply way too complex. The Torah is too multifaceted to just be able to tell him the entire Torah while standing on one foot. On the other hand, Hillel viewed the world through kindness. He was also very righteous, but he understood the application of the Torah in society. A life dedicated to God without regard for people is missing the entire point. But a life dedicated to helping others ultimately leads to a life of serving God. So let's get back to our original question. What is the definition of a true leader? A true leader, according to the Torah, is someone who puts the needs, especially the mundane physical needs of others before their own. A true leader has regard for everyone, the ardent followers as well as the indifferent and even the opposed. Leadership is a responsibility to society. It's not a means for power and authority. Moses becomes the epitome of selfless leadership. And through his instruction and through his example, Joshua was able to continue that style of selfless leadership. And today, generations later, we look at Moses as the ultimate example of what it means to be a true leader. The Moses who says... God, I'm going to do whatever you want. I am your faithful servant. You tell me to take the Jews out of Egypt, I will go. But I want to tell you one thing and one important thing. If someone else had my talents, if someone else had my abilities, they would be doing a better job than me. Not false humility, saying, oh, I'm too humble to go get the Jews out of Egypt. True humility. I'll get the job done. Humbly, if someone else had that ability, they'd be doing better. I'm Rabbi Yisrael Bernath. Shabbat Shalom. Hi, Rabbi Bernath here. I have some great news for you. My popular four-week course, Kabbalah for Everyone, is available right now for free for the next 50 people who download it. All you have to do is go to www.theloverabbi.com Scroll to the bottom of the page and you're going to see the download button right there. In this course, I talk about the Kabbalistic secrets to relationships, to wealth, to happiness and balance. This special offer has been dedicated in loving memory of Ellie Dorfman. I look forward to hearing from you. 
and hope you enjoy the course. Now on to today's episode. 